this is Coffee with Timmy. Hi everyone, how are you? Welcome to Coffee with Timmy. Woo! I'm so nervous today, I don't know why, but um, thank you for being here. So this is the first um, live streaming broadcast for this year. And I really, really hope it's going to bless somebody. I hope it's going to help someone. Today, I'm going to be chatting with um, Dr. Tegofato Maimela. She's a public health specialist at the Charlotte Makeke Hospital here in Johannesburg. And we're going to be talking about gender-based violence. So I hope you're ready with your questions, with your pains, and with your ears wide open. Because um, from chatting with her, I found out that this is a whole lot more than the physical part, which is what I've always thought it was, that to talk about gender-based violence, violence is physical, it's hurting, you know, it's something you can see. But um, I don't want to get ahead of myself. I want her to be the one to tell us exactly what it is. So let me welcome Dr. Tekofato Mankeke. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> How are you? I am well, thank you, Demi. Um, it's a pleasure to be with you and your uh, audience today. I'm doing very well, thanks. Can't complain. Thank you. Thank you for agreeing to do this. I know this is a long weekend and quite a number of people are away, but um, I believe that whoever needs to hear this will hear it and um, there'll be a blessing coming from, from you for us now. So when we were chatting last week, you said um, something that I didn't think about. I mean, I know it, but I just never thought about it. So would you start by telling us exactly what is gender-based violence? When we're talking about it, apart from the physical thing, which is what I just you know, thought it was, can you just tell us what gender-based violence is? Um, well, um, Timmy, um, so gender-based violence is a form of either um, overt or um, uh, non-overt sort of injury to an, another individual that one would place um, uh, and the and the and the hallmark of it, of course, is that the injury is directed at a different gender. And uh, mostly that is, um, so the perpetrator is usually of one gender and the person on whom the violence is being inflicted is of another gender. Um, so usual um, injuries and violence, we do separate the two um, so that we are able to better understand and, 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 and unpack and explore some of the factors that lead to this uh, particular form um, of, of violence. Um, it is, of course, uh, one of the, you know, um, recently in, in one of uh, the speeches by the president, he, he spoke about it during COVID times, um, that he thought that gender-based violence was like a second epidemic. And in, indeed, mm -hmm. um, it's quite a very um, significant uh, affliction that happens in our society. Um, and one of the things that is very dangerous about it is that it is so, um, you know, it's not so conspicuous. It happens uh, behind closed doors most often, uh, although you do see cases coming through to the health system or hospitals where there has been an exceptional amount of violence that requires um, some assistance from 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 the medical uh, services that are available. So essentially, it is it is one gender um, uh, perpetrating violence on another, um, and there are many factors which I'm sure we'll unpack in our discussion today. Okay, that was something that um, I joined I joined a forum like this uh, last month, and one of the ladies said something that. Um, really made it sort of like an eye opener for me. She said, it starts with affection. And it, it, it just clicked, like, that's true. If someone comes to you and slaps you in the face, obviously you're not going to go with them. So when she said it starts with affection, and then when I was talking to you, you said some of it, or most of it actually, that we do not see, it's the, it's the, internal, the internal injuries, the emotional ones. Can you talk about that? Yeah, yeah, sure. So, I mean, the 
the the very difficult aspect about gender-based violence to really get to the heart and the root of it is um, that it happens in such an insidious way, very slow. Um, as you were saying, people don't necessarily start on the first date or within the first couple of months as they're going out and courting. They don't realize that um, there may be certain worrying behaviors that are um, closely uh, or well-described linked to a person who is likely or is possible or capable of, of, of inflicting um, uh, psychological as well as uh, physical injury to their partners. Um, so, so, sorry, just to, just to separate the two. So there's, there's injury within um, a context where you know a person so that's within an intimate partnership. And then there's also gender-based violence outside those relationships. And that can happen when you're in the wrong place at the wrong time, you know, and you just get assaulted by whatever uh, person and for whatever reason. Um, and that is also that could also be uh, obviously another uh, layer to the gender-based violence. But what we're talking about here is when um, it is expressed or it is experienced in the context of um, an intimate relationship, yes, and um, and how you know, as you read and as you sort of explore these sort of dynamics, you see that to some extent there is a part, there's a pattern of um, of these gender dynamics that now play themselves out in a very controlling environment. Uh, it may start off small, you know, comments about uh, people's uh, dress code or choice of, you know, choice of Yes, friends, can you explain that? Because I was, I didn't, you know, you, you one has probably experienced it without actually realizing that's what you were experiencing. Um, when tiny, tiny, um, what were like snide remarks are made about your outfit or your look or something that you've done, can you explain that? Because that's where it starts from, and we didn't pick it up on time. Yeah. So, I mean, in the beginning of the relationship, you know, as as things start, people are obviously infatuated. We mostly overlook <laughs> some of the, diff you know, these uh, red flags we say sometimes or these um, worrying behaviors and comments. Um, but it really is important that people... Uh, are you know are paying attention to who people are telling us they are um so while there may be some affection and they may very well be um real affection in the in the in the in the in the, in the relationship you may start hearing comments um around i don't approve of this sort of um way of speaking uh or i don't approve of this way of uh, engaging with your friends, um, especially if it's not a non-threatening thing, um, if it's not overtly disrespectful uh, in the context that you you know you you try to build within a, a relationship, but just it's disproportionate to the response and the reaction that you're getting from a partner. Um, there may be signs of wanting to know who you're with, where you are what you're doing, what time you'll be home, a little bit more than just a simple, let me know you're fine, let me know you're safe. Rather, what are you okay. doing? Who are okay. you with? Why is it taking you so long to answer my phone calls? I've texted so many times. So that's sort of very in-depth worry, um, um, wanting to have that much oversight and control over what your partner is doing. One demonstrates an a, a, a trust issue that is that is that I mean I don't know how relationships can grow without trust so there's something happening there in terms of trust um, but also there could be something around wanting to control the environment and in that environment if you are part of that environment then trying to control your behavior um, eventually as the talk continues and. You know, some of if 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 the the kind of talk does start to seep into your self esteem, starts making you think and double question um, or double guess yourself, um, then you don't you sort you sort of not sure whether or not this is the right thing to say, what to think, what to not. 
you know, you become very anxious as a person who's in this relationship because you don't know whether or not what you do or don't do is going to then uh, spark a response that may be um, hurtful. Um, and that if it isn't addressed, um, uh, whether it's addressed, you know, with, between the two partners or within a context of therapy or something, uh, that could escalate um, in many ways um, into a dynamic where the power then is then exerted physically, not only just psychologically and emotionally. And sometimes, especially in our case in South Africa, um, where we see, or even it's it's really a global thing, where there is also these economic um, uh, dynamics that happen between couples, mm -hmm. and sometimes that that sense of control also translates into economic uh, ways. So yeah. When I was watching um, this group uh, that I joined, I I before then let me say when I was before then I used to think that just leave you know if someone is hurting you if you know if someone is doing whatever it is that you're not comfortable with just leave then i heard the woman talking and one thing that um struck me with one of the women was um this and most of these women were professional women they had jobs because i used to think you know it, it can't be because you know if it's a money issue if it's an economical thing you can say yeah but some of them were saying i stayed because of the children I stayed because of the children. And in the end, I mean, they, every, not everybody in the group had left. Um, their husbands or partners said, but in the end, it actually was hurting the children more with, their, with them staying than um, if they had left. What do you have to say yeah. about that? Yeah. I think, you know, as we're saying, you know, the course of such uh, relationships takes time. You know, during the time, um, you know, the family grows, you know, children come into the, mm -hmm. to the picture. Mm -hmm. And of course, um, one of, I mean, that's one of the, 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 the big uh, reasons um, that, you know, uh, victims um, of domestic violence, of intimate uh, partner violence have to balance. One, the exposure of the violence that the kids may see as it happens in real time in the home. Mm -hmm. A fear for whether or not that's going to be uh, extended to the kids themselves. Mm -hmm. And so uh, not wanting to have an environment, especially if it's, you know, women or whoever, where they try to be the ones where the, where the violence is directed as opposed to make, as opposed to the violence being directed to the kids. So they become that buffer to make sure that the kids are protected. But at the same time, if there is a economic dependency on on the husband or the or the boyfriend, you may find that the mom does not necessarily know or has not had an opportunity to uh, be an economically active person and therefore needs to survive in this relationship in order to be able to feed herself and her children. So that's a very difficult dynamic to sort of. Um, uh, uh, deal with and, and oftentimes people would stay in relationships thinking it's best to, to be there for the children uh, but of course these sort of this exposure to violence doesn't necessarily protect them you know emotionally they become incredibly um, um, anxious some of them depressed um, they may not show it but certainly that, that exposure to this uncertain and unsafe environment whether it's verbal abuse or whether it's physical abuse, the fact that the children are witnessing it, they understand that the place that they're in is generally unsafe. Mm -hmm. So I think there's an idea that we need to also um, try and help uh, those who are in this um, situation to try and figure out how to, one, um, find a way to be economically active, um, you know, uh, to be able to, to feed themselves and be able to, have the confidence that they'll be able to feed themselves and children, and maybe then they'll be they'll they'll feel like they are able to leave. But there are um, real fears, um, especially if you've been in a very very uh, abusive relationship where there have been threats made to the 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 victim of the violence. If you hear over and over and over again 
some of the disparaging remarks, you may start thinking, oh, I'm not attracted, oh, I'm not this, I'm not this. But as you start believing the words of the person who's perpetrating this violence to you, there may have been incidences where they have verbally threatened to harm you should you leave and harm the children should you leave. Um, and, um, in, and that is a very real fear. And it's something that we can't um, downplay because certainly if my action of leaving or even attempting to leave is going to uh, put my, my children's life at jeopardy, I'm not going to risk that. Um, it's very logical and very protective. But there may be an area, uh, and I mean, we've got really good resources available in terms of toll-free um, um, platforms uh, by the Department of Social Development where you call and you literally have to keep speaking to someone who can give you a different narrative and different tools to work with so that you start building some sort of strength and capacity to imagine a life outside of this uh, abuse. Um, and statistically, I think globally, they mention that it takes a, a victim of, of, of domestic violence something up to seven to ten times um, attempts at leaving, coming back, attempts at leaving, coming back, and only sometimes up to ten times successfully leaving and leaving for good. Um, wow. So it takes it takes some time, and it and understandably so because you want to make sure that you've got at least a community that's going to accept you and your children. If you do have extended family that is protective and able to make sure that you are safe, perhaps it's easier. But if you are on your own, if you're in a different province, a different country, for example, and you are fielding this idea by yourself, it may be very very challenging. Um, to know that you will be able to, one, go out and go out safely and not have your um, life um, at risk or your children's lives at risk. And then secondly, to be able to figure out a way to start all over again by yourself, you know, having a roof over your head, having food and being able to also um, have, have to carry some of the costs that come with raising children as well. So it is a very complex thing. People cannot... Um, and, and we should learn to be a little bit kinder and, and more compassionate to those who are in the situation that they, you know, it's not it's so easy to leave. It really is an incredible internal struggle before that that happens. So, yeah. Ooh. Yeah. What, um, our, what you're saying actually confirms what those ladies were saying, because um, this lady started um, a, 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 a foundation for women like her and it took her 10 times she said it took her 10 times the attempt attempt before she could leave and not come back because she came from a home where even up to now her parents are together she had a very good job and she didn't understand what was going on you know and yeah. um, she did finally leave and i think also one thing that um women because we i do know that this happens in, in the opposite direction as well sometimes the man is the one who's been abused but we're talking about the women today. But um, some of the women seems, uh, I don't want to sound so uncharitable. Because of the life they've built together, whether with the kids or finances, you know, things they've acquired, it becomes difficult for them to give it up. Or the thought of, I'm going to have to give all of this up to go on. How can they be helped? Because, <coughs> excuse me, I'm hearing this for the first time that they can actually call social services and have someone help them with their thinking to re, you know, to renew their thinking. Because yeah. I know there is a problem with some or some police stations when you go to report. I know there is a problem. Yeah. So how okay. can they? Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. And yes, unfortunately, we do have incidences where. Uh, uh, and, and, and stories where people have gone to uh, police stations and have not been met with people who uh, were very, were either trained to deal with this kind of situation or at least had, a, had a, the awareness and self and compassion of people to believe them that they needed to, to be helped. Um, I don't have a list of the different foundations and different um, NGOs. That, su that support the uh, that really do try and, and create 
a a a a a um a safety net for how and when people decide to leave uh, women decide to leave um domestic uh, abused uh, homes um but certainly it, it it i see the thing is we have to understand that it's taken a journey to get to this point and 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 the more realistic way of thinking is to understand that it's going to take some time to have a journey out um and so you know yeah, if you call one of these uh, domestic violence hotlines, I know um, that they are 24 hours a day, that there is a counselor there. She tries to establish whether you are at risk, like immediately right if your there. life is at risk, or if it's an issue of trying to sort of understand why the abuse is happening, what level of abuse is, is happening, who is involved, um, and also trying to understand whether you are at a point of being ready to leave. But they don't just say, oh, if you're not ready to leave, then there's nothing. They do try and explore ways in which you can start empowering yourself, empowering the way you think um, how, about how you value yourself within the context of the family or the relationship. You can start, you know, feeling like you can handle difficult, I mean, you're already in a difficult situation, but feeling like you can handle what's in the future if the future means starting again and i think starting all over again for any person in any circumstance is very very scary starting mm -hmm. a new career starting a new family starting mm -hmm. anything where you you're mm -hmm. used to something and you have to just build from the bottom up again is again, exceptionally yeah. difficult so i understand that particular perspective um, and I think what we need to do is one, make sure that, you know, people are in a safe, like in safe environments. There are these uh, NGOs that have house households where a mother and her children can come and sleep and stay there. They are funded so they will have food to eat, etc. as they start figuring out how to put their lives together again and start um, and start living independently um, where there is support, I think. Um, available through the extended family, what I would definitely try and, and, and also support the family with is also counseling because mm -hmm. sometimes you may, you know, you're dealing with someone who's traumatized. They have particular triggers and anxieties that you may not know exist. And if you at least um, give yourself the exposure to some sort of a counseling, even calling the same hotline and saying, listen, my sister or my, uh, my aunt or my cousin, um, I want to know how to best support her. These are her behaviors. I'm not sure what 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 that means. Uh, should mm -hmm. I ignore it? Should we escalate it? Should she see what a psychiatrist? I don't know. Um, but that the family should also feel empowered to access these platforms so that they know and are knowledgeable on how to respond and how to accommodate this shift that may need to happen for for the person who for their family member who now would like to um, or is, is ready to leave that home environment, that hostile home environment, and move on to a new um, a setting. Okay. Um, that was something, um, oh, well, now the question has escaped me now. It was right there on this moment. When, when they come to you, by the time you see them, right? Oh, okay, maybe I should say, have you seen someone who has been abused domestic uh, domestic abuse what do they how do you handle it when they come to you if they've not come to report it how do you handle it so um so usually so we were you know a lot of our exposure as uh, medical doctors is at facilities uh, crisis centers or health centers where we are um meant to support the um, the legal aspect of, uh, of a domestic violence um, or even a gender-based violence incident with um, medical reporting. So we are meant to make sure that we document what we see uh, in an accurate and, um, and concise but um, clear way of, of the injuries that we see. So our... our, our um, support to the process is to provide medical evidence that um, either uh, supports the, the 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 series of events 
that has been um, suggested in the in the um, the claim against the perpetrator. So yes, we have, um, and this is exactly why I've been, you know, one of the th my one of my the things that hurt most about being in this space is to see this ongoing violence that happens. As you said, it happens both to males and females, but the predominant um, numbers come from females. Um, and what you do see is that, you know, by the time they are accessing uh, medical health, that means they have had multiple bruises mostly, they have had cuts, they've got, you know, broken bones, broken whatever's, you know, they, they really, there are, there is physical evidence um, of injury, uh, whether it's blunt force or even uh, through stabs. Um, sometimes people get burnt with uh, water from a hot kettle. Um, and, um, and, and, and yes, it's very, very difficult. You can see that, you know, this person has been traumatized and they are coming in because they they literally need help or they need to have some sort of a case, a restraining case, et cetera, et cetera. Um, a straining order for, for the, you know, to yeah, create some sort of safety um, uh, at home. Uh, and so, I mean, what we do, and it's really, it's, and this is the thing, the, the it, it has to be a societal response because as, as a health sector, we're right at the end of this. We're right at the end of the problem where there is injury and somebody needs to be patched up or a bone needs to be, you know, corrected or mm -hmm. stitches need to be put in. That's right at the end. And what we need to be dealing with are the the precursors to that lead up to uh, violence. Mm -hmm. And it's a societal issue. It is not, it really is, uh, we were talking last week, uh, Timmy, when we were busy exploring this discussion, mm -hmm. that there are actual social economic drivers that keep um, playing out uh, between these dynamics that are gender-centric. Um, and, you know, you have these very, very harmful patriarchal ideologies of power over people, power over women, power over children, that sometimes then seeps into domestic violence and into even child abuse. Um, and, and we have to start tackling the narrative that we have, the assumptions that we take on from each other, from our families, from our workplaces, that, that make us think it's okay to think you are more powerful than, therefore you can, over mm -hmm. another person. And um, and these are very deep. They they stem over decades, centuries, you know. Um, and it's not unique to South Africa. It is a global problem. Um, it's a it's and 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 but unfortunately, South Africa has reported the highest number of uh, gender-based violence statistics, um, even femicide, with it, which is death um, of women at the hands of males. Um, and our numbers are really, they're frightening. Um, and we need to really take this issue very, very seriously and make it a collective problem and not something that this, uh, the South African police have to do with or the criminal justice system has to deal with. Mm -hmm. But we as families need to be talking about this. We need to be educating our brothers, our, our sons, our nephews. We have to be having these conversations so that we interrupt things that we can see later in life could create problems in terms of uh, gender equity and gender equality. And we really want to see the different uh, genders having an equal play, equal footing in both access to economic uh, activity as well as independence in the home so that there is partnership rather than there is a sense of dependency yeah. uh, that then is then established um, in the absence of that. I was going to say that when, we, when we're talking to young people, we so many times focus on just the girl, you know. I, I probably am guilty of that, maybe because I have a daughter, and so it's closer to home for me. But I think we, we're always on about the, about the girl or girl child, as I said now. But we need to also teach the boys what is right and what is wrong. Yeah. I've um, I've said this so many times. I was in um, 
I was in a class with teenagers and a 13 year old. We know we're having a, um, about, we're talking about gender based violence. And he said, Oh, sometimes you have to slap the girls, you know, that they don't listen. But once you slap them around, you know, it's like they, they, they listen, they are realigned immediately. Yeah. And not, not only was I shocked by uh, a 13 year old saying that, the girls, some of the girls, not all of them that were in the group, they were nodding, which means they've accepted the fact that I'm going to be slapped around at some point in my life and it's okay. You know, I think there's a problem with how boys. Hello, are being can you hear me? Can you hear me? Have I lost you? Uh, your, your audio is off. Can you hear can me? Can you now? hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Uh, we lost you again. Can I reset? Um, <laughs> okay. Okay, she'll, um, she'll have to re uh, refresh and come back. I, I do believe that when we focus on just telling the girls how to behave, what to do, and what not to do, we need to let the boys. Welcome back. Are you Thanks, okay sorry. Okay. Okay. Um, when, we, when we're talking to children, it shouldn't just be to the girls. We need to talk Absolutely. to the boys as well. You know? Yeah. And that's what, um, yes. And that's what we keep seeing. It's always the girl child, the girl child, the girl child. We're not focusing as much attention on, on the boys. And the boys are learning from uh, those who are learning from what someone has said, you know, this is how it's done. This is how it's always been done. But that way might not be the correct way, right. you know, to uh, I mean, young, young boys now find it so funny if you say open the door for a woman, for your example, or let the girl go through the door first. It's like, why? You know, yeah. it's all right. But I think we've over, we've gone way over this doing the equal rights thing and everybody being the same that we have lost um it's almost like lost a bit of our humanity yeah. remember when i was chatting i said when we do certain things to other people it's because you, you can't see that person as being human because if you do see that this yeah. person is just like me you yeah. will not do it you yeah. understand what i'm saying so how can we help because now it's not just the the the, the girls how can we help the boys? I'm, I'm, I know really, really, I know you've got boys. <laughs> yeah, so I've got two and, sons. And you were talking about it as well, you know. I've got you two have sons. To watch and, how um, they talk. Yeah, how can we help? Because it, it has to start from when they're young. Yeah. It has to start from there. Yeah. Um, you know, I've got two boys as we're talking. And I feel a very clear responsibility. And my, my sister also has two boys and we have this clear responsibility of identifying, being watchful, being attentive, listening very carefully to the conversations that they bring home from school. Um, things about pushing people around in the, in the classroom, uh, incidences where someone is kissing somebody and, I, and we never want to be, you know, completely flippant and not attentive. You don't want to explore what is happening, mm -hmm. what mm -hmm. happened, what were the dynamics, etc. What do you think? Was it good? Did it, do you think she felt fine after you pushing? Or do you think she felt whatever? It's important, I think, just to start from grassroots to try and make sure that the, the, the boys uh, learn uh, how to respect uh, women, uh, girls and women. Uh, from an early age um, you know the thing is I don't know you know if you're in a household where uh, these gender disparities and um, domestic violence is normalized how to pull kids out of that and to try and reframe what should be a respectful env environment obviously would require a lot of counseling one identifying that uh, a boy child is either exhibiting very worrying behavior and being able to put them in some sort of a therapy um, um, a program that can maybe help them just identify uh, what, what's happening and how to, re, to interpret what's happening in the home. But, but I mean, we have every chance with the kids, every time they're watching a, a program, 
we can just at the end of it what did you think about that what did you see um you know exploring with your children is so important especially when they're young because the world is still going to feed them these norms yeah. um mm-hmm. it you know you are you are you know unmatched with the kind of messaging that comes in through media through movies through gaming um i mean even simple games uh, <laughs> simple games that they play on PlayStation and Xbox mm-hmm. you can't not know what they are what they do not mm-hmm. you have to be listening cuz as the little program is telling them go fetch this box or this machine gun or whatever it is you have to be listening and asking okay why 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 this game why this why this language why is the you know why is the behavior towards the lady in this game looking a particular way and you have to just question and prompt conversation hopefully that conversation would continue as they grow because mm-hmm. especially in their teenage years they're going to have to deal with real issues around consent with from a girl child obviously mm-hmm. especially but i think it's also very unfair that we put this a uh, responsibility on girls only on the girls to, yeah mm-hmm. to have to navigate seeing signals that somebody's you know exerting their affection a little bit too much in a way that they're uncomfortable we have to put the responsibility on the boys because they're the ones who are going to start doing the initiating and they need to know mm-hmm. how to do it safely how to approach friendships safely friendships safely mm-hmm. how to um also be aware and intervene where possible when they are seeing their classmates um or let's say their cousins are behaving inappropriately where where a, a girl child uh, or a young woman is involved and we have to be able to give them that that confidence to speak about things and say yeah and say that um you know when you see something wrong happening don't just say oh you know it's 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 that it's that households you know how we have this thing it's the households problem don't that's and you know don't get into other people's business um but you know it's it's very difficult but we need to be able to open up this conversation i would love to see men more men having this conversation with us and saying um that these are the ways in which i had to reprogram myself because either i grew up in a in a context where i was exposed to domestic violence or i have had incidences where i was inappropriate with another with another woman or um, a girlfriend or whatever and then help us understand what tools they used so we can then also to use realign themselves mm-hmm. yes cuz some people actually move out of that place they find therapy they go to you know into places where they actually are able to to deal with the core issue the root issue the the emotional scars or the psychological traumas and start not projecting them onto another human being but starting to deal with them but we we need to also find these these men and bring them into this conversation so that they can also give us some 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 tools some information so that we are able to um appropriately support our boy children our our brothers our uncles our um <laughs> nephews as in yeah. when we start seeing problematic behavior i'm reading this now It says another thing that you touched on earlier is to equally acknowledge the emotional lives of both um boys and girls. You know this thing of um um toughen up. And I a funny and I was having this chat with someone a few days, you know, you're a boy. Boys don't cry. And some somehow we think that only the girl is going to be affected or is been affected by what's going on in the house. But um studies have shown that this can go either way. A, a child from a abusive family can become an abuser or they can they somehow always find themselves relationships that are abusive you know because without knowing without knowing it consciously they are now attracted or they find themselves you know, going to people who end up being abusive yeah you know yeah, yeah. i mean the the thing is when you don't This is the problem about having that narrative uh, and so it's, it, and I think it's and I think it's in a, a societal abuse towards males to expect them not to show emotion when they are humans full of thought full of emotion 
Yes, and what what is what is really dangerous with that kind of um, um, uh, narrative is then we we see that they, they like they too there's only an acceptable way that male emotion has been um, normalized and that's anger you know when when males get angry it's like oh so that's violence that thing that, but we actually we actually create an environment where that's the most acceptable way for them to express frustration and we don't make it acceptable for them to cry in frustration as women do we we cry when we're disappointed when we're frustrated when we are overwhelmed when we are whatever we are given permission because of the way the genders are are described mm -hmm. but what you also then do is is you teach them to suppress so many feelings and and over time and in up up through into adulthood they won't even be able to identify and and communicate what the actual emotion that they're feeling is is it anxiety is it disappointment is it frustration is it maybe they'll just say no i'm just angry or you know whatever it is because we don't give them the lang the, the ability the and language the, and, yeah. and the permission to use those where i'm i'm deeply disappointed and that should also be something that we acknowledge as a very painful experience um and it's i'm hurt i am I am, I am, you know, those, so, so then we don't know what we're actually dealing with because they haven't exercised the muscle of saying, this is what I'm feeling firstly, and this is how I'm going to articulate how I'm feeling in such a way that we can then deal with an issue that's causing you anxiety or causing you frustration or causing you a sense of depression, of being overwhelmed, of being stressed or whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really important for us as a society to really accommodate males and not be afraid of, 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 of seeing our partners hurting to the point where they cry and not, um, um, and yeah, and, 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 and being able to, to respond in a, in a kind and compassionate way where we don't judge the feeling or the expression of the feeling, especially if it's tearful and 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 um, and sad, that we actually acknowledge that it's brave for them to show that emotion in a society that tells them that it is not masculine to do mm -hmm. so. So yeah. I definitely, I my boys can cry; they can cry as long and as hard as they need to. <laughs> I know that. <laughs> yeah, you know them, right? <laughs> I know that's what. Um, <laughs> something you said last week when we were talking, um, if someone comes to, to the hospital and they see you, uh, they see a doctor and you can tell that this is abuse, but they don't want to report it, but they will come in from what you yeah. said, they will come in because they want the treatment. Yeah. So what do you do? What will be your responsibility? I mean, My in case they change their mind, I come later. Right. What would you do? Mm -hmm. So when we were talking, we were talking about um, sexual assault at the time. So this is the context of the conversation that we had. And um, I mean, uh, we know the statistics of, of sexual assault in South Africa um, and that it's, you know, commonly less than 10% of, of incidences end up being reported. Uh, so by the time we come, we know that there is something that has happened that obviously um, the, the victim or the survivor is uh, trying to get addressed. Um, a lot of the times you find, not a lot of the times, but there are incidences as we talked about where um, the survivor isn't ready yet to open up a case and go through the legal aspect of it, but certainly would require, for example, the post-exposure prophylaxis, exposure to uh, conditions, uh, sexually trans possible sexually transmitted infections, possible HIV, um, and so we have to give them like a set of treatment as they are there and some for them to take home uh, for the first week. And then we obviously see them um, uh, serially, obviously for the, for the counseling aspect as well. Um, and, and a follow-up uh, HIV test about six months later. Um, and so our responsibility obviously as a health system is to make sure that she, he or she doesn't get 
um, infections. So we have to give that uh, those those medications. We have to provide counselling. Um, but in the event where the, the patient doesn't necessarily want to open up a case, my suggestion and my advice usually is that we can take the evidence, put it together, because it's there in the in the time that we're meeting each other. Mm-hmm. Um, if the problem is if 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 the if the case goes if is opened you know even 12 days later there's hardly any evidence that we can collect um to corroborate oh, okay. they don't come to you immediately yeah so the examination has to happen immediately obviously in a safe environment um uh, and it's a very difficult examination to take a person through it's very very difficult um uh, but uh we we generally advise that we at least collect the evidence so that it can be placed in safekeeping so that when you know the 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 storm of the initial trauma starts to subside and if um the the survivor chooses then to uh pursue a criminal uh case then at least she has evidence that can support mm-hmm. her um at that time and make for uh, a a successful conviction should it get to that okay okay is it um is it free so because i think sometimes people think this is going to be costly for me to go to the to the hospital because of the, of all the tests that has to be done if someone has been assaulted um a physical one now because we can't see the bruises inside is it free for them to come to the hospital whatever it is that needs to be done yeah. they have to okay, yeah. even if they are not ready to report it yet yeah all of it is free so the it's like going for the SAPS you get your case number they come with you so usually the the point the 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 the, the steps you start at the SAPS um offices mm-hmm. they accompany you with the kits that they have so they also stock the kits and they bring the kits um and we also have kids in the event that you know somebody does come without a, a case number um we conduct the examination uh this is a district health function so most district hospitals um have uh, like a particular so it's not casualty it's not the same as casualty you won't be standing in the same line as people who've had a car accident or something there's an actual dedicated service for domestic violence um and for um yeah for for and for gender based violence and sexual assault so in every hospital uh it's not in every single hospital uh there are certain facilities that are linked to this to the station so the mm-hmm. so the police station would be able to take you depending on where that that police station that is okay. they are very aware of which centers um drain um the cases uh, that they are then going to deal with okay. um and then and then yeah so then that service is completely free the medication is free the follow up visits are free um so so yeah it's a it's an it's absolutely a free service that's available uh obviously because we want to be able to deal with the incident um give the post exposure prophylaxis within 72 hours so that you don't have What's a risk that? of aging the the it's the it's the it's the medication that we give to to prevent you from getting STIs HIV and those have to be administered within 72 hours of an incident so we want to make sure that we're not making cost a barrier to access and that's why okay. it's a completely free service okay okay so if someone comes in i just want to know if they don't come if you know sometimes you're in shock something happens and you can't even so if it wears off after that 72 hours you now want to come up to you know to report it or come to the hospital to get treatment would that be like way too late i mean obviously i understand that doctors will attend to them but can yeah. anything be done i think um i think what would be important in that case is to really be honest with um with the survivor about one uh the ability to to be able to get um evidence i would still continue with the examination even if it's 2 okay. days or 3 days later um and conduct the whole evidence collection process uh because we aren't gods we don't know it could there could still be sufficient evidence um although we know that the chances are slimmer the longer we wait 
Um, I would advise if the if the person hasn't um, if the person um, if they if they, if in fact they were to to call before, I would have said, please bring all the clothing items that you had on you on the night of the incident if you haven't washed them already because there's still evidence um, on on clothing items that we could also add to the pack. Um, but certainly I would still undertake the process of, of, of counseling, uh, even though we won't be able to start, let's say it ARVs because after a particular time, there really is no value in, in doing that. We have to actually just protect you from the other short term uh, 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 sexually transmitted infections and then make sure that we keep testing, um, after after particular time to make sure that you're out of the window of infection for HIV, and if 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 if, if there is a an outcome where you where where there is transmission, then of course the health service is able to put you on long term ARVs. Um, but there is going to be a lot of counselling that would be required in that context. A lot of counselling um, that 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 survivor would need um, in order to sort of have a new normal uh, of life with, with a condition that she obviously did not get um, yeah. by choice. I know about the Teddy Bear Foundation and, um, but I, I, I want, maybe I, I need clearance. The Teddy Bear Foundation is only for children who are at risk. Yeah, I so know that people have been sexually abused. Yeah. I don't know if it's, um, if adults can also go in there. If you suspect a child has been sexually abused or is going through some kind of sexual thing in the house, I know for children the teddy bear from the, uh, the teddy bear clinic is there. But can yeah. adults also go in there? Do they maybe have safe houses? So the teddy bear clinic is very particular to children, um, okay. and and obviously because they've got a team of very specialized child psychologists, child psychiatrists. Uh, physios and occupational therapists, a very, very um, extensive multidisciplinary team. Uh, they try and elicit through uh, play and other conversations uh, behaviors that can be said that could draw out what kind of possible trauma and or abuse that child may be facing. Um, there are, um, Damien, I think we can, we can go online and look, but there are safe houses for adults themselves to be able to access, but uh, the Teddy Bay Clinic deals only with with, with children. Uh, but of course, they've got networks of people that they can then refer either the family to uh, for comprehensive um, um, therapy um, so that there is both, uh, you know, as a, and I think as a parent, obviously, you want to be capacitated to address some of these, especially if you are not aware that there has been um, uh, exposure to your child um, mm. uh, in a way that obviously has now uh, developed into uh, behavior. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I know about, um, as we're rounding up, um, I know about the TS Foundation, and I think that is, that is mostly for adults. I yeah. know there's a, help, uh, there's a helpline that you can call. There's an SMS line that you can call um 24/7 yeah do you think they have um do they have safe houses because sometimes yeah. i think when, when a woman has finally been able to pluck up the courage to say okay i'm going they need yeah. to have somewhere to go yeah um you know I, i'm not very familiar about their yeah they do have support centers um across the the nine provinces um, in fact, just looking at uh, their website now, it, it, it seems that they do have these um, these available safe houses and support centers. Um, but certainly, uh, and I think this is probably the, or even safer spaces, um, Tears Foundation as well, um, mm -hmm. and other charities as well. Um, I think, and it's probably going to be something that the dialogue may assist is, if you are in a position where you know the, the home environment is not a safe environment, not only a physically safe environment, but a psychologically damaging environment and you need to get out, 
start with some counseling, start with people who know this field very, very well and who know the networks and who knows what kind of need can be met by which foundation and which uh, non-government uh, organization or community-based organization. Um, start with that. Usually they'll give you checklists, they'll give you um, some sort of guide to sort of establish where you are in your readiness to leave mm -hmm. and also where, um, where your closest haven can be uh, should you decide um, in the moment that this is the moment for us to leave or for me to leave. Um, I, I would definitely uh, advise that they do a little research on Google, find out or even call the, 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 the hotlines and the and the, uh, the, 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 the contact details of these places, just so that they know that when they do get there, there isn't going to be a problem um, and that it can be facilitated. Um, and, they, and they probably do better follow-ups, you know. Um, they'll probably register you in their database and as, if it's an acute, obviously an acute situation where you need help today, right now getting out, they'll be able to make sure that they follow up that you landed up in the right and safe place. Um, for that. I know we're running out of time now, but I just remembered um, something we talked about. Um, women who go through this are ashamed, even though the shame is not theirs, but they're ashamed to say, this is what is happening to me. You know, ashamed, I don't know, to say I made a mistake. Everybody yeah. else was right. For example, I made a mistake. Ah, da, 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 da. But yeah. you also said something. I said, can you find out? Can you, you know, in your office, with friends, um, can you say if someone is being sexually abused? I'm um, sorry, not sexually abused. If they're going through domestic violence, is that things you can look at or you can there see? There are some signs. There are some signs. Um, yes. Although not everybody demonstrates the signs, so it's not a hundred percent going to get this, and, and it depends also on the length of the abuse. But if you if you are at least um, seeing your friend or your colleague before they got married or before they got into a relationship and they exerted a particular personality that sort of starts to change um, following that commitment, um, that they become reserved, that they are not interested in social activities, they're not or even are not allowed to go to office parties or office uh, happy hours or whatever the case may be. Yeah. They aren't given permission to do all of that. Um, and that, you know, they, they don't even want to, you know, have go out on coffees or whatever. They'd rather stay at home, deal with the business of home and have just enough to come into the office, do their work and get out. Um, if there is, um, I know in corporate South Africa, there are incredible workplace programs. Uh, where you can get access to these programs, so employee wellness uh, programs. And I would then sit and suggest to my colleague, if you're going through something that you can't tell me, at the very least, it's been paid for by the company, get the counselor to talk to you about something um, that you need help with, because I can see that there, that something's different with you and you're not okay. Um, maybe I'm not the safest person to talk to, and that's fine but just know that I care and I'm worried about you. And I think maybe you need to speak to one of the um, employee health and wellness services that are available. That's certainly something that I would do um, if I could see some, some red flags in my colleagues. Um, yeah. Uh, distractibility, not being able to deliver work, um, having many sick leave days, family responsibility leaves, you know, just something just doesn't seem settled at home. Um, those are sort of the things that I would look out for. Yeah. Okay. Um, thank you so much. Uh, we'll put this on podcast um, sometime next week. So for those who have been able to catch, I understand people have gone on the long weekend. Right. We had, <laughs> had a long weekend to just go away. But thank you so much. This has been helpful. Um, I know some people are not able to, even when they're, even when you're hearing it, they don't want anyone to know this is what they're going through. You know, it's that shame thing again. But I'm hoping that you, if we've noticed it in someone else 
or just say, oh, you know, there's this thing you can listen to because we, we you can tell, you know, this is just not this person. Tammy's not behaving the way she used to. It could be other yeah. things, but just in case, um, we'll be at, we'll, we'll show that compassion for the person, show that consent, and it will understand that it's out of love that we're showing this and they'll do something about it. Yeah. And if I get questions afterwards, you know, some questions are not going to come up here. If I get questions afterwards, I will send them to you and you'll be gracious enough to reply. Hey. Absolutely. <laughs> Certainly an important topic. I'm very, very grateful to have been invited to the platform. And oh, yes, I hope so we much. do start um, breaking down the stigma of domestic violence and gender. That's violence. it, the stigma. That's it. Yeah. That's it. That's and it. we and we attend to it as a society in a, in a very loving and humane way. Thank you, Dr. Sekupat. So, Thank you so much. I'll see you next week. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Thank you. It's been Coffee with Temi, and I hope to see you all next week. Where, Well, not see you, but I hope you'll tune in again next week when there'll be another video. This will be podcasted on Apple Apple Podcast, and I will, I will send you a notification as soon as it's up. So if you have not um, tuned into my Apple Podcast, it is now. You Now you know about it. Thanks for tuning in from, oh, I'm from Scotland. Hi there. How are you? And all those who were able to take time off from their long weekend, I really appreciate it. Bye for now. This is Coffee with Timmy.